We are, we are looking at the parables that Jesus taught, teaching us about the kingdom of God. We've been learning about the kingdom of God is, is not something that is off in the future. It is. It is off in the future in one sense. Um, from the, from the very beginning of the Jewish faith, uh, people, people had looked to the day when God would come to the earth and sort everything out. We heard, we heard that, um, in the, the reading from the prophet Joel, talking about the day of decision, when God would come to the earth, the, and like a, like a harvest, he would put his sickle into the field and, and do a harvest. So in that sense, the, the day of the Lord, the kingdom of God is something that is in the future. But what Jesus taught, when Jesus came, he said, it's not only something off in the future. It is also something that has come near. It is something that we can live in our own hearts. We can experience God's rule in our own hearts. And so that's what we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks. And unfortunately, Jesus was mostly teaching farmers. Sometimes he taught shepherds and he talked about sheep. Sometimes he talked to fishermen and he talked about fish. But in these parables about the kingdom, for whatever reason, Jesus was talking to farmers. And so he kept talking about seeds growing. And so we've been reading these parables and they all kind of blend in our minds. Um, and we have one more parable we're going to read today about the seed growing. And then we'll be done with parables about seeds for a while. And next week we'll hear a different type of so, uh, parable completely. But we have one more seed parable to get through. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But first I want to know, um, how many of you have seen the movie uh, The Blind Side? The, uh, I see a lot of hands. Okay, so a lot of you are familiar with it. I, 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 I love the movie. If you haven't seen it, I certainly recommend it. Um, and I'm reading the book now. Um, and I came across this little passage um, uh, in, the, in the book that I want to share with you. Um, if, if you. If you haven't had an experience like this yourself, maybe you know somebody who has. You, you can relate to what, what I'm going to read you. It, it's nothing to do with football, so if you're not a football person, that's okay. Um, but if you know, if you if you're familiar with the movie, you know the the story is the story of um, uh, a young man from the inner city, a uh, Michael Orr, who is adopted by uh, a family uh, from the rich uh, suburbs, and how he goes on to have a football career. Um, and the reason he gets he gets uh, out to the the suburbs where where he uh, is adopted ultimately um, is because of a man named Big Tony who is who is um, uh, takes both uh, his own son Stephen and uh, Michael Orr out to the suburbs. And the reason he does that is um, is in the, it's just hinted at in the movie. But here's what it says in the in the book. It says, um, uh, uh, "Today he had a motive. His mother, Big Tony's mother, had died, and her dying wish had been for him to go east. East is these rich suburbs. Big Tony's mother's name was Betty, but she went by Betty Boo." Right up until Big Tony reached the sixth grade, Betty Boo had been the party girl of Hurt Village. Hurt Village is the housing project she lives in. She smoked, she drank, she ran around, and then suddenly, in 1973, she gave up alcohol, then her three-pack-a-day cigarette habit, and then sin itself. She announced that she had been saved and accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior and spent most of the next 25 years mailing pamphlets and pressing Christian literature on, and videos into people's hands. She wasn't tedious about it, though. All the kids in Hurt Village called her grandma. Her first real grandson was Tony's son, Stephen. And as Betty Boo lay dying in the early summer of 2002, she asked Tony one thing, that he take Stephen out of public school and get him a Christian education. She wanted her grandson to become a preacher. And then in the movie, you know, that's the last we hear about Stephen. Um, but... Um, but he does, he takes them, and that's where the, the story takes off. But 
uh, as I read that, I thought, you know, I've heard this story over and over again. I've heard stories about Betty Boos, right? People who have some kind of a dramatic change in their life. They have, they, they, they have the kingdom of God living in them and completely transforming them. And I think to myself, when I read these stories, I say, that's not my story. I have not had that kind of experience. I have not had that kind of drama. And, and for that matter, I have not had that kind of improvement in my life. About 15 years ago, I was uh, taking a Bible study. Um, and the leader, there was two leaders in the Bible study, uh, Karen and uh, Craig. And Karen, uh, she said something that has stuck with me. She was talking about uh, people who had had this kind of experience, this kind of very dramatic experience of, of God's grace in their life. And she said, you know, I feel kind of envious. You know, I don't envy them the, the, the trouble they've come from, that they've persevered through, but I envy them that, 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 that sense of God working in their life. And she, so, so that was one thing she said, unrelated except it does tie in. She told me one day that, um, she said she'd had a bad day getting to church. She'd been in that, in that mode, some of you know, where you're, you're not quite, um, screaming at the kids. But you're not talking normally either, and it's kind of like let's let's get going. Uh, no, no no pushing elbows, please. Um, you know, let's get going. You know, we're running late. We need to get moving. Come on, and your teeth are gritted, and your face is turning a little bit red, and 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 you're saying we need to get you to church so you can learn about the love of Jesus. <laughs> and, and when Karen when Karen told me this, I thought, well, I am totally there. Uh, that is, that is my experience pretty much right up to the point when I got a job where I left the house early. Um, that, that I just always was that kind of person. Um, and you know, you think to yourself, there's people like Betty Boo who completely turn their life around. They have this dramatic experience. I can't even get church right. Okay. I can't get going to church on Sunday morning right. I do not have the kind of grace and love in my life that even gets me to church without screaming at my family. And I think to myself, why isn't Betty Boo the preacher? You know, I don't know, I don't know how, how many of you have experienced this, but, but you say to yourself, well, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God coming near. Jesus says that we can have God working in our hearts, giving us, giving us, uh, love and, and mercy and peace and, and righteousness. But man, I'm just not feeling it. I, I am not feeling it at all. And, and, uh, even, even in the parts of my life where I, where I have some success, it's, it's uh, punctuated occasionally by these failures where where I say even the part I was counting on, you know, that's the part I felt good about. Even there, I have setbacks and failures. And I say to myself, you know, I, I just don't feel this. Where is that kind of that kind of dramatic turnaround, the testimony of the Betty Boo? Where's that in my life? And I don't know how many of you can relate to this. Maybe some of you can. But I, I take comfort from the fact there's one person I can point to who can relate to it. And um, he was a leader in the early church. His name was Paul, and he wrote about a quarter of the New Testament. And Paul said this. Paul said, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. 
for I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I know that that for all the Betty Boos we bump into and we we say, oh, I wish I could have her experience, maybe not the downside, but the upside. Um, we say, we say, you know, I know that I'm not the only one who, who goes through this because uh, none other in authority than, than the Apostle Paul said, you know what, sometimes you have these sorts of setbacks. And so Jesus answers the question why in this parable today, the parable of the growing seed. Now, as I said, we've heard a lot of parables about growing seed. We've heard about how um, uh, the kingdom of God, when it comes into our lives, is is like a seed uh, that starts very small and winds up as the greatest of all garden plants. He talks about the the, the seed that grows from nothing to become something very big. Uh, we've heard Jesus talk about how the the kingdom of God, when it comes into our lives, uh, makes us kind of like a wheat in a field full of weeds. It means that that we're going to go on in a world full of problems. We're not like getting removed to some some wonderful heavenly uh, monastery somewhere where there are no troubles. Uh, we continue to live right here on planet Earth and there still is going to be problems. Uh, um, all around us there's going to be uh, the regular sorts of things we had before the kingdom of God came into our lives. And in fact, we're going to even encounter evil. And we talked about that. Jesus talked about how the kingdom of God is also like a plant that lands on different kinds of soil. And the kinds of soil it lands on, the different kind of heart that it takes root in, uh, makes all the difference in terms of what kind of result occurs. That if it lands on a path, then a bird comes along and gets it. But if it lands in the right kind of heart, then it produces an abundant harvest. So we've heard all these mer- parables from Jesus, all these metaphors about growing seeds. And we're going to read today one last one, the parable of the seed growing. And so Jesus says, he says, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day. Now, what he's saying there is that the, 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 the kingdom of God, the, the word of the kingdom, the, the message about God and his love and grace and mercy, um, is kind of like a seed that comes into our hearts and then we kind of lose control of it. He says the farmer, the person who sowed it, um, has no more impact on it, uh, after it's in the ground. He says, he says he sleeps and nights, he sleeps and rises night and day. Now he doesn't mean that that that's the end of the, the role for the farmer. Um, Jesus, the whole reason he talked about seeds growing is because he was talking to farmers. And if he had said, once you plant the, the field, you're done, and you can just relax until harvest time, the farmers all would have laughed and said, that's what happens when you listen to a carpenter who doesn't know anything about farming. So there is a role for the farmer, right? The farmer has things he's got to do. He's got to you know arrange for irrigation. He's got to hoe put up a scarecrow, whatever it is farmers do, I don't know, I'm not a farmer. But there is a role for the farmer. But he has, he has lost sight of the seed at this point. So he's saying that there are things that you can do as a farmer, but the seed itself is not something you're going to have any direct control over anymore. So he says, he says that there are, there are uh, conditions that make it favorable for the seed to grow, and you can do that. You can work for that. You can irrigate your field. You can... You can hoe, you can do whatever farmers do, you know, put up a, a scarecrow. So it, it, as we interpret the parable, what he's saying is there's things that we can do to create better conditions for the seed to grow. We can, we can engage in spiritual disciplines. We can, we can pray. We can, 
we can fast, we can read the Bible, uh, we can engage in acts of service, we can, we can uh, become part of a community that, that uh, worships together. There are things we can do to create the right conditions, but Jesus says you don't have control of that seed anymore. It's going to do what it's going to do. And he says, he, he punctuates that by saying he does not know how, right? The seed, he says, the seed would sprout and grow, and he, the farmer, does not know how. I mean, it's in the ground, and it's doing what it does. When I was in, in uh, junior high, they showed those time-lapse videos, you know, that show the little seed growing. And, and you know, the, the seed knows which direction to send the root. The root doesn't go up, and the stalk doesn't go down because the seed knows that stuff. Um, I don't, right? If the seed was listening to me for advice, I wouldn't know how to tell it, you know, do this next. And, you know, I, seeds have got their own internal logic, and they do that. And we don't know exactly how it all works. Um, maybe there's biologists who are figuring it out, but I don't know. Um, and neither does the farmer. It just does, right? It sits there in the ground and it grows. So uh, again, unpacking the metaphor that Jesus has given, he's saying, he's saying, when the kingdom of God is in your heart, you really don't know what it's doing, right? We don't know. We can look at other people and we can say, I wish it was doing what theirs is doing. But Jesus is saying, ultimately, you don't know. You don't know what's going on. You can't coach it. God wants us to change, but he doesn't want our advice about how. Ultimately, God is making the change in our heart, and we cannot give him advice or or coach exactly how it should work. The seed grows of its own accord. And we can't we can't give God advice about how to do it. The 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 corollary to that is when somebody else gives us advice, they can't they can't judge either. I don't know whether Betty Ubu was was uh was um was the right kind of soil or whatever. I I don't know. I can't judge her, and she can't judge me. Um, I can't judge myself, and I really need to ignore people who are judging me. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about that, and don't compare yourself to others. And then he says, the earth, he says, the earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. So he says, the earth, the earth does that. He's saying, the the environment, the circumstances of the seed, wherever the seed winds up, that's what triggers the seed to grow. And so again, uh, unpacking the metaphor, Jesus is saying the circumstances of our lives are what cause the seed to grow. So so uh, if, if we've got this kind of circumstance, it'll grow this way. If we've got this kind of circumstance, it'll grow a different way. And Jesus is saying that the, the sort of um, uh, growth that we see is a result not of anything we do, but of the circumstances we're in. And, and that is something that gives me confidence because I can say the good things in my life are part of that set of circumstances. They're part of the environment, but so are the bad. The, the failures I make, the, the, the lessons I learn the hard way, that's all part of the environment that the Word of God, the Kingdom of God, is as it grows in my life. Someone once said that God never wastes a hurt. That the, the things we do that we regret, the things that, that other people do to us that we we hurt from, God never wastes those. Those circumstances are part of what causes the kingdom of God to grow in us. And then he finally says, he says that, that the, the, then the growth occurs. The, the earth produces the, the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. And only then, when the grain is ripe, does he put in the sickle. So yes, there will be a harvest, but not until you're ready. He's saying, be patient. If God can be patient, so can you. That God isn't going to harvest you before you're ready, so 
so be at peace. God is, God is in charge of the situation. And he says, he's not going to come back and he's not going to take you away before you are ready for harvest. So the Apostle Paul, when he reflected on that, he said, you know, it's frustrating that I don't do the things that I want to do. It's frustrating that, that sin somehow still has a foothold in me and causes these relapses and then also causes the fallout, right? The, it's not just that, that the sin occurred, but it's also usually when the sin occurs, you know, some part of my life blows up. And then I've got to deal with that too. So Paul is saying, I have, I have two things. There's the frustration. How come God is not saving me from this? And the second thing is I've also got to deal with the, the consequences. Paul says, these things really frustrate me. And that's in chapter seven of Romans with the passage we just heard. But in chapter eight, he says this. He says, but I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed to us. He says, he says that yes, it is frustrating. Yes, I wish that God would, would just kind of make us uh, grow a lot faster. I, I heard a story once, um, a, a booster for Iowa was saying, Iowa's got the kind of soil, you put the seed in and then it's important to jump back before it <laughs> springs up and pokes you in the eye. Um, we're not that kind of soil. Maybe, maybe some people are, most of us aren't. Most of us are the kind of soil where it takes a while to develop. And Jesus is saying, that's okay. And the Apostle Paul says, don't focus on the suffering. Look forward to the future. Look forward to the glory that awaits us. When, when about the same time that Karen and I were talking about our struggles as Christians, um, my daughter was baptized. And I remember the prayer that the, um, the minister gave when, when she was baptized. He said, he said, as, as part of his prayer, he was saying, Lord, give her enough of success so that she knows that she walks with you. And give her enough of failure to keep her hand clenched in yours. And I think maybe that's part of the reason that Jesus allows us to have these failures, is so that we keep our hands clenched in his. If we, if we could somehow just magically turn our lives around, then we'd eventually, maybe not that day, but in a few weeks or months, we'd be saying, yes, I'm a pretty good person, and I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I'm a better person because of my own internal fortitude. And I think part of the reason Jesus gives us these failures is so that we can keep our hands clenched in his. But Paul says, don't focus on that. Focus on the glory that awaits us. Because you see, that's not rooted in us or the progress we see, the type of soil we think our heart is, the type of soil that we see in the person next to us. He says it's rooted in one thing. He says, what are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? If God would give us his son, is there anything else he won't give us? No. I don't sometimes like the timetable. But the promise is, if he's already given me Jesus, if he's already given me his son, then is there anything else he's going to withhold? Of course not. So I just need to be patient. The apostle James says, be patient. The coming of the Lord is near. Let's be patient. Jesus said, um, uh, Jesus, Jesus was a smart guy. You know, I talked about baptism. He gave us, he gave us these signs so we could remember this because it is hard. It is hard to remember that God's at work 
in our lives. If what we focus on is the failures instead of the success. So he gave us these signs. He gave us baptism to remind us that we are new creations. That we are, that sin may still have a foothold in us, but it doesn't have mastery over us. So he gave us the sign of baptism. He also gave us the sign of communion. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion together. Jesus said, do this. Every so often, I want you to remember what Paul said. I want you to remember that God has given his son for you. God's son was broken on the cross and his blood was shed for us. And he said, do that every so often. Remember that when you come together. Remember that because you'll need to remember it because otherwise you'll focus on the failures. So he said, remember, I'm at work in you. There will be a harvest when you're ready. And the way you can remember that is by celebrating communion together. We're going to be doing that in a few minutes. Focus on what lies ahead, not the suffering of this present age. Thanks be to God. Amen.